Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar, coming to you from my office here uh, at the sponsor of Oncofarm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy here at East Tennessee State University. And today we have a couple new uh, FDA approvals for, for new drugs, new chemical entities. Um, drugs that uh, we're going to talk about, but drugs that I would be surprised if, uh, if you are listening uh, I'm surprised anybody listens, for one thing. But if you're listening, I would be surprised if you encounter these drugs anytime soon in clinical practice. Although, they're still interesting, especially the first one. So let's get right into it. Uh, on July 30th, the FDA approved Iobinguane, Iobinguane I131, which is a radiopharmaceutical. And it was approved for adults and peds, 12 years and older, for Iobinguane scan positive, unresectable, or locally advanced, or metastatic, pheochromocytoma or paraganglioma uh, who are in need of systemic treatment. Now both of these cancers are very rare. Uh, they're neuroendocrine tumors. Uh, you may not have heard of a paraganglioma, but you probably heard of pheochromocytoma um, just from watching house. This is one of those rare diseases that's, that's house rare. Um, and if you're not familiar with the show House, it's a popular show in the United States uh, with uh, Hugh Laurie, I think was the main guy. Anyway, the patients always had lupus or pheochromocytoma, and pheochromocytoma is a, uh, a neuroendocrine tumor of usually the adrenal medulla causing increased production of uh, catecholamines uh, from the tumors, uh, which cause, you know, at least in house lore, anger issues, and then increased uh, refractory hypertension is how the most common presentation, I think. Anyway, very, very rare, house rare. This is a zebra. When, when you hear physicians or clinicians say, if you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. Well, both of these are zebras. Uh, approvals based on a pivotal study of 68 patients, of whom 22% had a response, uh, and 11.7% overall had a complete response, uh, although 25% had at least a 50% uh, decrease in the use of antihypertensive medications that lasted for six months. So a little bit of a modest activity, and again, rare diseases, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the efficacy, but there is a whole lot to unpack here drug safety-wise. Uh, so Iobinguane, I cannot say this drug, Iobinguane, uh, one iodine-123 is already approved as a radiopharmaceutical for imaging purposes of things like pheochromocytoma. Um, and that's because iobinguane is structurally similar to norepinephrine, and that leads to uptake in tissues that are catecholamine thirsty. So that's like the adrenal medulla, uh, some parts of the heart, liver, lungs. Uh, and iobinguane-123 release, releases gamma radiation only. Iobinguane iodine-131 emits both beta and gamma. Now, gamma has a higher penetrance, so gamma would be the preferred, uh, a gamma emitter would be ideal for just imaging purposes, but a beta emitter or an alpha emitter would be ideal for inducing radiation damage and killing things. So you're gonna see a lot of side effects here and precautions because of the systemic iodine-131 uh, release from that beta emission. So I've got a list of like 11 things that I think, you know, st I just titled this stuff to know about this drug. And again, uh, this is not a drug that you would encounter very often. And in fact, if you do require it, you know, that's my first thing is this is a radiopharmaceutical. So the dosing is a little, 
uh, unfamiliar, as is the delivery strategy and the storage. And this is going to come from a, uh, from a nuclear pharmacy or from a nuclear medicine department. So uh, a lot of pharmacists are not going to have access to this drug. But at least in my scenario, I could, I could be helping take care of a patient who would receive this drug at, a, at another facility or at another an outside physician. So, so that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, as you can probably predict, is because it's a, an iodine-131 rated pharmaceutical, is that thyroid blockade is required. And the PI package answer says 24 hours before a dose and at least 10 days post-dose. Now the, uh, I'm just going to call this II-131, and then there's II-123, which is the radio imaging, imaging agent. The II-123 package insert gives you explicit doses for potassium iodine oral solution and Lugol solution. II-131 PI doesn't say that, so you can fall back on the other uh, iom Benguane package insert to look at some more details of this. Third thing, hydration is required, so patients should increase their fluid intake for two liters a day, one day before, and through a week after, and that's to minimize bladder irritation. So 50% of II-131 is excreted renally within 24 hours, and 80% within five days. So it's all going to get out uh, eliminated renally, and you don't want that eye, that radiation being emitted and just sitting there in the bladder. So that's the reason for the increased hydration is to continually flush that bladder. Very similar to how we would counsel patients receiving cyclophosphamide to increase their their fluid intake to flush their bladder so that the um, so that the acrolin is not sitting there in the bladder, uh, irritating the uh, the bladder. Fifth thing, sorry, fourth thing, and this is this is important. So drugs should be discontinued um, that reduce catecholamine uptake or deplete catecholamine stores. And it should be stopped like five half-lives before the drug is started. So if the drug has a 24-hour half-life, it should be stopped five days before II-131 admission administration. And then re could be restarted a week after II-131 is given. And this would include CNS stimulants. And they say this in the pack insert, like cocaine. Like stop the cocaine, you know, five half-lives before you give the dose, methylphenidate, phentermine, other stimulants as well. All sorts of reuptake inhibitors, uh, and they list tramadol, TCAs, bupropion, duloxetine, venlafaxine. So they say if it's a serotonin and dopamine reuptake inhibitor or a serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, they say that. They don't explicitly list just selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So SSRIs are not listed on the II-131 package insert as a drug to avoid or a drug interaction. However, in the II-123 package insert, they do say to stop serotonin, selective serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs before. And so uh, I would assume that the interaction would apply here, and I'm not sure if there's, there's data that they know that it's not in interaction with II-123, but again, something to, to look more into if, if you encounter a patient with that. Uh, Non-selective beta blockers, they list labetalol, but the most common non-selective beta blocker I see is carvedilol, which also blocks alpha receptors as well. And then alpha and beta agonists like pseudoephedrine as well. So that's a common over-the-counter drug that patients may be taking that should be uh, investigated in a good medication reconciliation or medication history before this drug is given. Fifth thing, antiemetics are required uh, 30 minutes beforehand. So uh, very similar to chemotherapy, and so is the sixth point, is that this drug causes a lot of myelosuppression. And if you're familiar with other beta-emitting radiopharmaceuticals like, you know, strontium uh, or, uh, you know, or metastron, uh, those sort of, that makes sense. So 
Patients have to have at least an ANC of 1,200 and a platelet count of 80,000 before they can be considered to receive this drug. Here's some pretty scary grade four toxicity rates. Grade four thrombocytopenia, that's a platelet count of less than 25, uh, was seen in 33%. A grade four neutropenia, that's an ANC less than 500, seen in 16%. Grade four anemia, which is a hemoglobin less than 6.5 or, or life-threatening, was seen in 7%. So this is, this is almost more myelosuppressive than, than some chemotherapy agents, certainly more myelosuppressive than single-agent pemetrexid. Um, and in fact, the nadir is prolonged here. All right? So uh, for example, for those patients who had a grade four neutropenia, the nadir, the median nadir was 36 days with the first dose and then 43 days with the second dose. So an incredibly long duration of neutropenia here. Uh, seventh thing, secondary AML or MDS, uh, acute myeloid leukemia and myelodysplastic syndrome occurred in a fairly sizable number, 6.8% with just 88 patients, that's pretty high. Uh, eighth thing, transient increases in blood pressure for the first 24 hours happened at 11%. Nine, nephrotoxicity. 7% had acute renal failure or some kind of renal failure, and 22% had a clinically significant decrease in glomerular filtration rate. Uh, tenth thing, pneumonitis can happen, and it can be fatal. One out of 88 patients who received a therapeutic dose of the drug did have fatal pneumonitis. So one patient died from this, and again, it's only been tested in 88 um, which is a sizable number for a rare disease. I'll give that. I'll give them that. Uh, and then the eleventh thing, as you would expect, there's the risk of embryo-fetal toxicity and infertility as well. So that's iobinguane iodine-131. Um, again, not a drug that I expect to see hardly any time in my career. But uh, what I'm going to take away from this is, if I do, I got to go straight to the PI if I see a patient with this because there's a whole lot that goes into this with a thyroid blockade, especially from a pharmacist standpoint, is looking at these drugs that may prevent effectiveness because it, the drug is structurally similar to norepinephrine. So blugs that manipulate norepinephrine in the body could decrease the efficacy of this drug, a drug used for a very rare and hard to treat cancer. Uh, and if you're gonna say, well, we're gonna stop your SSRI, what impact is that gonna have on the patient's underlying depression or other disease state that you had to stop that drug? Whether it's tramadol, linazolid, whatever it may be. Uh, huge role for pharmacists there in taking care of patients who may receive that. And trying to find you know, uh, a selective beta blocker, for example, uh, if that's necessary. All right, so strange drug whenever you have a radiopharmaceutical uh, that's approved. Uh, we also, on July 31st, had Lusutrombopag, or perhaps Lusatrombopag, um, which is basically a Me Too drug of Alvatrombopag. So if you want to just stop the pod down, go back and listen to that, that's fine. Um, but it was approved, same indication, and that's to, uh, for patients with thrombocytopenia in adults with chronic liver disease prior to either a medical or dental procedure. Um, two pivotal studies, L plus one and L plus two. I like that. Uh, combined, 312 patients received were randomized in these studies. They had a platelet count less than 50, randomized either three milligrams of lysotromopag for seven days or placebo. Uh, so 78% did not require a transfusion versus 13% in the first study, and then 65% versus 39% compared to placebo did not require a transfusion or rescue medication for thrombocytopenia. So it's certainly helpful, certainly works at increasing your platelet count, 
Um, and the administration schedule is very similar to Alvatron Bag. You start taking it more than a week before your procedure. You stop it two to eight days before the procedure when the platelets are, are you know, hopefully peaked and plateaued. Um, but it's a Me Too drug. You know, it's metabolized by like CYP411. No real drug interaction concerns. Um, but again, long term, we don't know uh, the toxicity of people who would have to take this drug over and over again. And I still don't see the benefit of this drug over just giving platelets if it's a one-time procedure. Now, if you've got chronic liver disease and your platelets are chronically in the 20s and 30s and you have to have lots and lots of procedures, uh, then I can see a role for this drug, but what happens when you take it over and over again? Uh, still don't know. So that's Lusitrombopag, an Alvatrombopag Me Too. That's it for, for this episode of Oncofarm. Uh, thank you for, for listening and following. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FarmDetanib, and you can find the show at OncofarmPod. Uh, feel free to find us in the iTunes store and rate and review us if you would. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you'd like to see more of what you like on this show. And uh, I'll be back next week, and I hope to see you all a little further down the road. Thank you.